0: there i'm leslie goodburn you're listening to the purple rainbow pancreatic cancer podcast in the podcast we look at pancreatic cancer across its impacts outcomes and future treatment and support we'll hear from patients loved ones about the reality of the diagnosis we'll hear from surgeons oncologists and nurses about the work they do to support people who are affected We'll hear about the wonderful work done by researchers to find a breakthrough in understanding and treatments for the future. We hope that as a result of the podcast, you'll learn more about the signs and symptoms, about how this diagnosis affects the family, about the hope for the future. Thank you for listening. Charlotte and I look forward to you joining us on our journey through pancreatic cancer throughout the 30 days of November with contributors from across the world. The Purple Rainbow podcasts are produced as part of Seth's legacy in memory of my wonderful, kind, curious, funny husband, Seth Cookburn.
1: Welcome to today's episode. I'm Charlotte and today I'm chatting with Mel Dadka-Tahiri. She's a Macmillan clinical nurse specialist for heptobillary cancers at Tameside General Hospital in Greater Manchester. I began by asking her what her role involves.
2: In the hospital we specialise, I don't go out to people's houses, they're the community Macmillan nurses who support people at home um, from any cancer type, whereas I am more involved in the diagnostic side, supporting people through diagnostics and the initial cancer pathway, supporting them at diagnosis, um, initial symptom management and coordinating their care really, because our patients... We're a a district general hospital. Our patients have to go to central Manchester for surgery um, and for treatment, if they need chemotherapy, say, they need to go to the Christie Hospital over in Manchester as well. So it can be a three-hospital attack on them, really, and they need somebody to kind of help coordinate that. Um, And then I become their link between the hospitals. Um, And eventually then the community teams might take over or if they're a a surgical patient, they probably need the surgical specialist nurse at Manchester Royal more than they need me, but I'm always at the end of the phone if they need me. Um, I never discharge anybody, I always say that. (laughs) Um, So if they they don't know who to call, they can always call me, even if they they think it's something to do with one of the other hospitals, if that makes sense.
1: You are there, you are their link, kind of thing. Yes, that's
2: what I call myself, yeah. And a professional mitherer on their behalf.
1: (laughs) And that's Um, what we all need, isn't it? A professional mitherer on our behalf, especially someone, a patient going through the journey that they're going through, especially when it comes to something like pancreatic cancer as well. Yes, and time is is
2: of the essence, really. And whether that's a curative patient or a non curative patient, They need things doing quickly and they need acting on quickly because time is often short if they're not curative and if we want to try and get a curative outcome for them, um, then we also want to make that as quickly as possible as well, happen as quickly as possible. So um, we have a fast track system over to Manchester, which I help facilitate. So for instance, a lot of my patients are diagnosed as inpatients. Uh, I do get a lot of few for the outpatients but I would say majority uh, are admitted with symptoms and diagnosed while they're on the ward if they come in for instance with um what we call painless jaundice jaundice so suddenly onset they go yellow no other symptoms that's a big red flag if you go jaundice and you've got a lot of pain then you're more likely to be a stone so painless jaundice is always a big red flag um so hopefully this staff on the ward would contact me we try and get a scan as quickly as possible and if they are a very fit patient because the operation for say for pancreatic cancer is huge um, and you're trying to find that person who can undertake that surgery um, and but also find a cancer that's operable so it's got to be in its very early stages so we've got to try and act quickly and it might sound like it's a, a needle in a haystack, but we do get them. And only three weeks ago, we had somebody who came in on a Tuesday with painless jaundice. We scanned them that day, um, and they had were transferred to Manchester the next day, and they had a full Whipples. So they had their the, the pancreas the part of the pancreas removed um, on the Thursday so that's to try and improve outcomes and that that worked brilliantly it's not always as smooth as that but it did it worked really really well but it's a very big shock for that patient so you're telling them one they've got this cancer they've got cancer and then you've got to try and tell them that they're going to get whipped off to another hospital for major surgery um and try and briefly go through the surgery um as much as you can without trying to scare them and also that's obviously the surgeons will add a lot more to that than I would and it's it's big very very overwhelming and I think and I also say to them sometimes that we can slow that process down for them because it's got life-changing consequences after the surgery so um yeah it's it's a tricky one that one but a lot of people do just want to get it or get there and get to Manchester and get sorted which makes sense but yeah so that that's another part of my role that I have to be quite responsive um kind of like in an acute way really if um one of the like an a and e for um cancers in a way um and try and get them sorted out quickly um and they're often under generic consultants on a medical unit who may not really understand the, the fast track process um and don't know where to go with it and i can help help guide that really and speak to Manchester and speak to the right people try and get things done as quickly as possible
0: <laughs> yeah
1: because it is huge for someone to deal with that, you know first of all you, you, you kind of stop at the word cancer and that that knocks you backwards yep. no matter no matter who you are yes. and then and then you go pancreatic cancer and you probably haven't <laughs> heard of it if you've not if you've not been in the world kind of thing you probably haven't heard of it and then you're told oh by the way it's going to be happening this week or a couple of days down the line yes. Yeah. And that for me, I'd be like, oh, if it's happening that quickly, it must be very bad, very serious. What in it you get a little bit more panicky, whereas sometimes you go, oh it's a bit later on, you're like, okay, so it's not as urgent, it's not as pressing. So you've got all those questions. And then I think patience, because I know what I'm like, and I've seen family members in similar, not exact situations, take on and go. I have to be strong for my family and you're like well no you're the person that doesn't need to be strong you're the patient. Kind well, of you often
2: find that though people do always want to be strong for and then family members want to be strong for the, the patient the patient wants to be strong for the fan no and actually I always say to him do you know what it's okay to have a good cry together it doesn't matter if you ask a question that's going to upset each other sometimes it's actually quite cathartic to do that and sometimes that can end up in a, a, a laugh together but I think people are often very scared to make each other upset and cry. And um I think I actually think it's okay to have a good cry with your loved ones. And <laughs> get it get it out of them, get it out there, really.
1: And so as a professional mitherer, as that is that that is now your official new job title. And I think that, that that can be reassuring for patients as well, to know that you know the right people to ring up, because we've all rung up a switchboard and they've gone, who would you have to speak to? And you're like Oh, I can't find the right bit of paper in front of me. Is it my consultant? Is it their secretary? Is it the department I need to speak to? Is it a diff? have I been referred? You can just to just have the one person and go, it's Mel I need to speak to and she'll tell me what's to do next. That feels like such an important role for people.
2: Yes, I think that um, I am probably slightly impatient by nature (laughs) Um, and I always want things done yesterday and for for my patients as well. Um, So I'm sure the consultants that I work with know they get um, as soon as say, for instance, we can't refer somebody for treatment at the Christie for chemotherapy, say, without a biopsy result. They have to have that confirmation 100% under the microscope that this is a cancer. Um, And then they know what they're because cancer treatments aimed at the primary source. So we need that biopsy that time where they're waiting. So say for instance, they have a scan and then we have to then get some tissue. So we have to go and get a biopsy from somewhere. Um, Sometimes we have to have that done at another hospital if it's directly from the pancreas itself, if they've got no secondary cancers anywhere. Um, So that's another trip out for them. Um, another hospital to go to. Then we have to try and get them biopsy results back from that hospital because it's gone to their labs, not ours. And as soon as I've got, we've got sight of that our at our hospital, our side. Um, between myself and our coordinator, we get it straight to the consultant that they're under here. Like right now, we want that referral done like yesterday to the Christie. Get it over there. And then as I can see the, the Christie Hospital's portal and I will check and make sure that that has been seen and registered. And then I feel like I can relax with that patient a little bit because that limbo land while they're waiting to know what they're facing is is very scary. And I would say sometimes even more difficult than than the next bit because they just don't know where they're going with it. And that process, that can take a few weeks. You know, while they're waiting for biopsies slots, and then they're waiting for the biopsy result, which takes another week, and they feel like they are just sat there and nothing's happening, and I can completely understand that.
1: But you're just stewing, aren't you? you will go and then Google yeah. becomes your best friend, but actually, it really shouldn't be your best no. friend at this point. And you're going, <laughs> okay. and you're hearing because right? you never hear, you only hear horror stories, don't you? And then you just. So, yeah, so yes. and knowing that you know you're very much on people's sides, you're um, advocating for them, aren't you? Yes, Completely.
2: Always, always. Yes, and um, I will. If I don't get a response, the same, I I won't let it drop till that consultant's done whatever I need them to do their bit. <laughs> I'm sure they would uh, back me up when I say that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, it's it's a di- And if they are for palliative, and the majority are for, say palliative, unfortunately. I often get mistaken on the wards for a palliative care nurse, which is obviously a very uh, sad reminder of what the situation is for these these patients. Um, Then if they are well enough for treatment, because sometimes people aren't well enough for treatment and we have to just look after them and it's best supportive care and things can change very, very quickly for these patients. Um, You want to try and get them to treatment while they're well enough to have it and to see if we can do something and try and reduce the disease burden maybe give them some time as well but obviously they've got to balance that with their quality of life against uh, the treatment side effects because I'm sure you're aware chemotherapy is not the nicest uh, treatment and unfortunately for pancreatic cancer um it's only in traditional cytotoxic chemotherapy. There are no immunotherapies or anything like that that they can have at the moment. So they can have radiotherapy for localized, but that's in conjunction with cytotoxic chemotherapy. So it can be a tricky pathway for them.
1: You you mentioned just there about it can be tricky. It's not always a good news story or anything. You know how do you cope? Uh, you know because you're dealing with this a lot i'm guessing yeah. you know, it's 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 it must be tough emotionally for you especially if you've been advocating for a patient you're trying to do your absolute best for them and their family yeah.
2: it's i think if it stops getting to you then you're probably not in the right job anymore that's obviously you don't want to be like bawling your eyes out all the time that's not good for you or the patient they need you to kind of be on the ball but I think you, we have support from your colleagues if you have a particularly difficult um, case or patient. So if, I would say, which is quite, I don't know whether this is true across the country, but anecdotally, I would say that recent years that patients are getting younger. I was expecting post covid patients to be more advanced because they weren't going to the g p but I don't understand how that's changed the demographic so I would say someone in the someone under sixty I would say we would be a drop in the old I've been doing this since two thousand and fourteen, so you maybe get a few a year, maybe two or three I think I'd had two people in their forties up until the start of last year and now i'm getting quite a few people through on a monthly basis in their 40s and 50s um which is um that's been quite difficult that's and they they tend to have more aggressive disease these patients don't seem to get to treatment as often as the the their older counterparts cancer to de- tends to behave more aggressively um they're a lot more symptomatic. They're a lot more advanced than before they show symptoms, maybe because their body's compensating because they're younger. Um, But yeah, I think we've had a few very, very, very sad cases in the last few months of quite aggressive disease in very young patients. So
1: that's yeah. quite sad. It's yeah. hard. It's really hard to deal yeah. with, isn't it? And yeah. Because yeah. I don't think I could do it. I really couldn't not on a daily day basis
2: I, yeah I think you just sometimes I don't fit I think I always said this as a nurse even just when I worked on the wards and I used to do A&E and I did um, admissions unit when I was first qualified and I did I think the things that you kind of just get on with at work and you do when you step back from it you go oh that probably sounds really strange to to somebody who's not in the medical profession. profession say for instance the first time you unfortunately do last offices on somebody when you're a, a general staff nurse kind of just get on with it in the day and you're doing it and you're respectful and you do but obviously you except that go, actually I've just that's quite a a strange practice to anyone that's not a nurse or um and I think that's the same with looking after cancer patients and especially in this way because a lot of them I would the majority are unfortunately not curative um and those that do go for surgery, it's big surgery, and there is a very big chance of it coming back after surgery. And that's a lot to take as well. And you know that actually, it's not like you're going across with huge odds that this is going to be right, we're done, we're just it, it's gone. It it often comes back, and it's a very cruel, cruel disease. Um, and we're getting more and more. I would, we've, I've doubled in patients in the last four years alone. So it's, yeah, it's very, very sad. And they need people out there for them and people that know what, it's quite, it used to be a small subsection of another cancer site called upper GI, so for the esophageal and stomach. And it used to be a small subsection of that cancer group, but it now it's it's matching them numbers. Well, it is not our trust.
1: I'm talking to so many different researchers at the moment who are working on some really exciting, yes. tr- you know, research to just hopefully, you know, the the the, I th- the determination is absolutely out there to make it better for for everybody. But obviously, that takes does take time. Yeah. Mel, what is it about your job that you that you love? Because there must be a, re- you know, you said you've been doing this since 2014, so that's t- eight years now. Yes. Why why do you stay? What is it about your job?
2: It's, it is very rewarding. I I have mo- are the loveliest patients that I... You have to build a rapport up with them very, very quickly. Um, and you're in... Even sometimes you're only in their lives for a very short period of time. You've, unfortunately, recently I've had a few people that have been diagnosed and not really made it out of hospital within a few weeks. And you kind of... There for that family, that patient, that family for that short period of time, and I do find it quite rewarding to 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 be there for them and try and make it this horrible time even the slightest bit better. Even if it's just I've got time to give them a cup of tea when the ward nurses are running around, or you know, it's I don't always have that much time, but do you know it's just I I'm, I am on my own, so it's it can be tricky. There's no one covers me when I'm not there, but it's. I just want that short bit of time that they do have to be the, the the best we can make it really. Um and having that specialist knowledge helps with that. The huge and then um the huge impact of diet for these patients. Um I'm not sure if people have spoken to you about creon and pancreatic enzyme insufficiency. That's not something that the general My general colleagues on the the wards would know instinctively to start. And it's so important. So you've got this cancer stealing their energy, even if they're eating normally, if they've not got to the stage where they've lost their appetite. So there's cancer stealing their energy, what they are eating. When they do eat, it becomes painful because they're not digesting it properly because the pancreas isn't secreting enough enzyme to digest the food. So then it's painful. So then they avoid food. So then they're losing weight. Um, threefold, really, because um, then their appetite goes, and it's very difficult to get that back. And um, a lot of the, I would say, general physicians are waiting; would wait for quite late signs of pancreatic enzyme insufficiency. Whereas you want to get in quick. We want to make the, their, their the life that they've got left quality, and they need to be nourished for that. And if they're going, even if they're not going to face surgery, which they need to be nourished for, if they're not going to face chemo. We want them to be at home with their family, enjoying what time they do have left. It can make such a big difference. And they've been suffering with these symptoms usually for a while. You know, they've they've been back and forth to the doctors with some bloating, with some pain after eating, with a lot of uh, uh, wind. And it's probably been no fault of the GPs because they're very vague symptoms not been picked up on and as soon as they come to clinic and we tell them what's going on and i say i can make that better we can let's focus on that and they are so relieved and creon um is an enzyme replacement that they have to take while they're eating it's a tablet so it's got quite a big pill burden on them but um so that means they'll take quite a lot of tablets but i always tell them it's once they get it right and if they've been having a lot of digestive problems it becomes their best friend it really does when they feel like they can start enjoying food again. And I always say, don't avoid food. Change your cream, not change your cream, not your diet. So if you're finding something uncomfortable, you need more cream. It does become their best friend, as much as they're like, I can't take these tablets every time I eat. Like you, you, you need to, and it'll make you feel better. I promise. <laughs>
1: But it's just brilliant that you've got that knowledge, that specialist knowledge, and you can solve, you know, it sounds like, you know, like you say, daft, just solving one little thing, but actually solving one thing has a knock on effect, both for their health, physical health, but also the mental health, because I love, I love food, and to not be able to enjoy food, it just, it always makes me miserable. I think, you know, if you can just give someone that, you know, their favorite food, and they enjoy it, it makes you feel better, doesn't it?
2: yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And they need to be, noticed. if they're going to face chemotherapy, they're going to face surgery, they need to be as well as they can possibly be. And um, if they're getting malnourished because they're not absorbing the fats from their food and they're going to lose weight, it, they're not in the best position. And we want to make them in the strongest position to, to face treatment uh, or to actually just enjoy their life.
1: Thank you so much to Mel for taking the time to talk to me in her role as a professional mitherer. I think everyone could do with a Mel in their lives. Now, don't forget, Purple Rainbow will be with you every weekday during November, so make sure you follow the podcast so you don't miss an episode.